Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, What About Us? Cultural Awareness in Clinical Psychology. I'm Afsana. So in this episode, I'm joined by Shah Alam, who's a trainee clinical psychologist from Royal Holloway, and he shares his doctoral research findings that explored the mental health barriers and support for men from the Bangladeshi community. Shah also talks about the lack of representation within the clinical psychology field, and he talks about his personal journey into the profession as a male from an ethnic minority background. So let's have a listen to what Shah had to say. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so first of all, I want to congratulate you on your PhD outcome. It's amazing. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, so it's very impressive. I mean, you, you pass with flying colours. And um, I guess I want to start with, with this first. So if you can just tell me, first of all, or, or tell those who are listening, who you are, what, what you do, what your role is, um, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So hi, everyone. Um, so my name is Shah, and I'm a final year trainee uh, clinical psychologist so at the moment I'm just in the yeah last few months actually of my training um, and I'll be finishing up in September Um, so three-year training to become a psychologist and just before that I trained to be a um, cognitive behavioral therapist so a CBT therapist so um, that's the last role I had um, just before I got onto the training. Um, so yeah, at the moment I am just wrapping up the training and what it involves is half of the day or half of the week um, at work. So I'm currently on a placement working with children and young people, um, a children and young people's mental health service. And then half of the week is at university. So I'm at Royal Holloway University of London. Um, so that's what my um, week looks like. Gosh, sounds like you're really busy. Yeah. Um, so so um, let, let's start with your um, your research then, because this is something that ha- how we kind of connected, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And, you know, I know that you've done quite a bit of work with the Bangladeshi community. Um, mm. So could you tell us a little bit about your research and uh, what that involved um, uh, and, and kind of where you've gone with it, I suppose? Yeah, sure. So part of the um, clinical psychology training is that we do a big research project as part of the qualification. And um, I chose to do research within the Bangladeshi community and so my own community and particularly looking at Bangladeshi men and Bangladeshi Muslim men um, in in London um, and looking at exploring mental health and stigma and what are some of the barriers to accessing help. Um, So that was the research question. So just exploring views around mental health um, within the community, but particularly for men. And the reason for why I wanted to do that area and that research project um, with specific with this community is because um, these are people from my own community and I know that there are um, inequalities in health access so there are less Bangladeshi people who are represented in mental health services within London Um, but we know that there are needs within the community so 
due to the impact. It could be like social or econo economic factors, um, could be due to um, like, for example, housing situations or financial circumstances for people that these can have an impact on mental health, but also just experiences of racism or discrimination also can have an impact on mental health. So there are needs within the community, but um, people are less represented within mental health services. And I wanted to research exploring that further. So what I did was I interviewed um, 12 men last year um, and asked them questions around this research area. Right. Okay. That sounds that sounds really interesting. So, um, I guess kind of you've used a, a potentially you know your experiences within or you know your understanding of you know community gaps or things like that that can mm. have an impact within mental health settings, and then you've kind of gone away and um, looked into this further. And, and I guess what I'm really interested about or want to just kind of I suppose uh, understand more, learn more is so you focused on Bangladeshi men. So. I'm really interested in finding out what was what were the outcomes? What what were some of the barriers that men from your community kind of were talking about? Yeah, definitely. So I, I had a bit of an idea myself, but it was really interesting just hearing from the men. And there was a broad range of um, ages as well. So the youngest man I spoke to, he was 22. And then the oldest, he was 59. So it was quite a broad range of ages. And I yeah. think that yeah, so I think that one of the things that came up were that there are, um, I think, a lot of um, expectations and pressures that men in the community can face. So um, there can be a lot of um, cultural expectations of being the breadwinner, being like the head of the household, um, needing to support the family and the needs of the family and being like the head of the family tree. But then this mm -hmm. can be quite, yeah, so this can be quite difficult as well, I think, balancing some of these expectations, but then growing up in the West as well. Um, so forming an identity and it's almost like finding each person needs to find their own sort of place in growing up in London or growing up in a Western world, but also having um, maybe some like e Eastern cultural expectations um, that can um like yeah it can feel like a lot I think from from some of the um interviews that I spoke to yeah yeah so I, I guess it, it it's that kind of cultural clash as well isn't it um mm. and I suppose even generational as well because I mean it's quite interesting that you you kind of interviewed such a broad range mm. did you kind of see any differences in terms of the age groups as well or the ages of the men was there sort of a difference between younger men and older men who were talking about these issues yes I think definitely there is a generational difference and I think that something interesting that one of the guys said to me was how sometimes sometimes there can be a lot lost in communication how um sometimes like um, I'm uh, like sometimes parents can speak Bengali, but their English isn't so good. But then the younger generation might speak really good English, but the Bengali isn't so good. So sometimes there can be a difficulty in communication, even within families themselves. Um, and there being, I know that there are less words or terms that we might use related to our emotional or mental health. Like I know. 
like in the Siliti language, we don't have like exact words that maybe translate to certain terms that we often use in the West, like depression, or um, there might be some terms that are more understood, like if we say stress, for example, but then there might be other terms that are more clinical or might more diagnostic terms like schizophrenia, for example, that might be maybe not understood or might have more of a taboo or stigma attached to them. Um, so I think there is definitely a generational difference, but also maybe um, I think what I found is whether it's younger men or older men, there was um, there was men said that there was just a different understanding around mental health that it was maybe seen as being more spiritual or supernatural so maybe related to jinns or black magic or other factors which then links into um i think it can build up a lot of um i think fear um if someone was to have like say that they have a mental health issue um, and that relates I think to stigma that can be in communities or in society around what other people might think um, yeah yeah no that makes sense so um, I guess you know I'm from a Pakistani background as well so you know things that you're saying you know resonate with me and you know people even from my community mm-hmm. who kind of have similar issues um, so I guess the probably next question is then you know, in terms of, you know, the um, sort of the, the men that you interviewed as part of your research, um, what were some of the barriers then or were there any barriers that they had in terms of accessing mental health services mm. um, or what were their experiences like? Yeah, definitely. So the men that I spoke to, these were men who had maybe experienced some um, maybe difficulties related to anxiety or depression or low mood but there were men who hadn't accessed services but what was interesting was when I asked them about what what makes it hard to access services or mental health services um, one of the things that they said is um, feeling like they need to maybe um, part of it is I think around talking about mental health can be difficult because of I think some of the um like some of the stigma that can exist in the in the um community or in society but also services maybe not being visible so men not being aware of what services are available or what help is available but also if um there being like a lack of promotion of um people from an um people like people of color within promotion whether it's posters or adverts that that not being visible as well which then makes it harder to see or make someone feel comfortable that maybe this service can support me or it is for me um, if it's not really visible or if there's not much representation in the promotion of these services so I think that's um, a barrier but also from the younger I mean the older man that I spoke to he mentioned about the language barrier as well how often there are teams that maybe look a certain way or there aren't options with having team members or in services that talk different languages which would be really helpful Um, because sometimes it can be hard to go through an interpreter or sometimes I know the older man said that he can sometimes have a family member translate for him but that's maybe not always appropriate or he might not always feel comfortable doing that so I think some of the barriers are around 
language but also services maybe not being visible or known or not feeling people not feeling comfortable that services can support them or understand them yeah no absolutely and I, I guess you know that's really important you know the, the kind of factors that you've mentioned here um so I guess it's kind of like thinking about community engagement isn't it really and yeah. um how that can be enhanced so I mean so from from your research I mean in terms of if we kind of look at that then in terms of services and what they can do to actively engage people from you know or men from Bangladeshi communities what would be some of your recommendations yeah definitely a great question so that's one of the things that I found that um one of the things um like you mentioned was how um services need to work a lot closer and a lot better with communities and to reach out to communities and do work together so doing work with services in the community um but also making a link with certain um certain uh, places in the community that a lot of people do go to. So, for example, places of worship like mosques or making links with imams, because the men that I spoke to said that that tends to be the first um, port of call that they turn to, that people in the community tend to turn to religious leaders rather than their GP, um, because the religious leaders are um, I think there is more trust that the religious leader can help and support someone. So I think services would probably yeah, need to do more engagement and working together with community members. Um, but I think that when I was looking at some of my findings, I was thinking about how there could be change at different levels, so at the community level, but also within services maybe doing wider recruitment to help um, recruit staff from different backgrounds within the teams. Um, but also I think even when I mentioned about visibility or services being known, that there being more promotion around mental health services and conversations happening. Um, and I think that was part of the reason why I did, um, I did like a short clip for the BBC because that is something that um, we were thinking would help in, link into there being visibility of men from the Bangladeshi community talking about mental health and that being um, seen because that's not often something that we see and that being something that might help other people um, reach out for support if they if they need it um, and I think there can also be a lot of training within teams themselves just to raise awareness around what people from different um, I guess like minoritized groups can experience like um, even within services themselves I know that part of my research I did a literature review and some of the papers that I came across people mentioned feeling discriminated against by professionals themselves or even with the treatment options that are offered that some people felt um, that medication was offered more compared to therapy. Um, so I think that services themselves can look at maybe um, training, but also being aware of maybe how they're practicing and if that is um, inclusive, but also being aware of what people from um, minoritized um, groups can experience. No, absolutely, absolutely. I agree with everything that you said there. Um, and I think particularly, you know, kind of 
I suppose, you know, normalising mental health. And I, and I love that you've done um, quite a bit, isn't it? You've done um, interviews with B- the BBC and you've done a lot of other kind of outreach work, which is great, you know. Um, and I guess what I want to kind of then like touch upon next, then you've talked about having that visibility um, within clinical teams mm. and so on. So, you know, being a Bangladeshi man who has gone into uh, clinical psycho- psychology training, tell me a bit about how you got there. You know, what inspired you to, to do this role? Yeah, definitely. So it was a long time ago now, but I I remember so back um, when I was choosing my A-levels, I think initially I wanted to um, become like a medical doctor, but I think that was probably more coming from my parents wanting me to be um yeah wanting me to be a doctor and I just found that um I wasn't very good at chemistry so that wasn't going to happen so I um (laughs) then then I I just um I remember I think it was my sister she just randomly uh, when I was picking my A-levels she said oh you should pick psychology it's like really interesting and then um, I just found from A level, I just really found that I like loved it. I just found being able to understand more about um, like human behavior and mental health, but also maybe understanding it for myself. But also, like I know friends and family members who experience difficulties. So being able to understand what was happening a bit more. Um, and then I went on to university to do psychology. I did that um, at City University in London, did my undergrad. Um, and then after that, I, I worked within, um, as a support worker within the NHS and I did voluntary work with different charities just to build up experience. But I think the message I got, which is quite sad, but at uni, I got the message that clinical psychology is too competitive, like you shouldn't bother, like there's no, the chances are really slim. So that's sort of the message I remember one of our lecturers gave, which was quite disheartening. Um, But I always knew that I wanted to support people and work with people and do work with people from my own community. Um, so I, I sort of parked it to the side, the sort of dream of being a psychologist. And I just thought to myself, let's just see what happens and where I go. So then I built up experience and then I did training to become a psychological well-being practitioner within um, mental health services. So it's like a year training with UCL in London and then you work within a mental health service. Um, so you support people with um, anxiety, depression, um, and you do a type of therapy called low um, low intensity CBT or guided self-help. Um, so then after that, I then went on to doing the high intensity CBT training at King's again in London. Um, and then I, so I applied for the doctorate twice so the first time um, I got onto a reserve list and then the second time I was just coming to the end of the CBT training and I just had one interview initially I didn't have any interviews and I was just on a reserve list but then they um, told me they had a space and I remember because it was Ramadan as well so it was I think it was May 2018 (laughs) so I went along and I thought um, I was fasting so I was a bit tired but I thought you know what let's just see what happens I didn't tell anyone I had an interview because I didn't want to feel the pressure 
um so I just went along to it and then I found out I got a place and that was three years ago now um and now <laughs> so it's definitely it. a blessed month then <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um and yeah so now coming to the end of it and I'm just really happy and proud and it just feels like it's sort of coming to the end of a, a, a chapter but that was my path but I think along the way it was tough and I look back and I realize it now more that I was always more or less the only Asian man often within the courses or even now within the teams that I've worked in and it can be difficult it can feel very lonely especially I know that there wasn't anyone really that I could look up to as like a psychologist who I knew who was um, South Asian and who was a man um, so I think it, it can feel quite hard um, being like the only one um, and uh but I think I just I just kept going and I think that um, I just kept remembering what it was, why I was doing what I was doing and what I really loved about the work. And um, and I think that um, a, a, the nerd in me likes to study. So I think that sort of kept me going as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, what? I think what's great is that, you know, you can pave the way for future generations and, you know, yeah. be that role model for others, you know. Um, yeah. And you're right. And I think, we you know, we have this sort of conversation often and particularly with you know men um from you know being backgrounds who talk about kind of so not only obviously you know having that kind of uh, lack of representation being someone uh, who's from a minority background but then also being a, a male within the profession can mm. obviously um kind of feel a bit isolating sometimes as well mm. isn't it um yeah so yeah I think you're not alone in, in saying that and I think a lot a lot of men that I've spoken to in the past who work within the profession have said very similar things as you have mm. um yeah. so the the kind of other thing I want to touch upon, upon uh quite quickly so I'm mindful of your time as well so um you said that you were CB, you were a CBT therapist and uh I guess um you know living in London it's a it's very diverse there um how did you find you know, in terms of CBT, normally it's from, you know, a Western perspective. And, you know, uh, I'm assuming that you've worked with minority um, patients uh, or from patients of minority ethnic backgrounds. Um, yeah. How effective has that been? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind? Yeah, definitely. I think that I found how that the first sort of word that comes to my mind is the need to be quite flexible, that mm. it's really so important. I see how we have to work with each person as an individual and that rather than um, doing exactly the same approach for every single person I think that there is a need to be flexible and adaptable um, and actually hear from the person as well because I found how like even with my research a lot of the men that I spoke to have a lot of coping resources and the things that they find helpful like reading the Quran or prayer so there are mm. a lot of ways of coping that sometimes can be missed within therapy or if someone's seeing a therapist they might not feel like oh this therapist might not understand that I I pray or I um, go to the mosque or I do other other sort of things that help my own well-being and I think these are things that can sometimes be missed but are so important that can be brought into therapy and I think there's a need for that happening a lot more that um, yeah like I, I I speak from the perspective of being Bangladeshi and being Muslim, but I think every person from their own community or from their own from 
aspects that make up their own identity, whether it's their gender, sexuality, race, religion, that need to sort of work with each person as an individual and think about yeah the the trick the models that work but also there is a need to be flexible with those models um as sometimes um or often what is the case is that sometimes this therapy and the models have been developed with a certain population maybe in the west that isn't mm-hmm. going to be yeah so isn't going to be sort of completely applicable applicable to everyone so there's a definite need to be flexible and also um think about how even just thinking about um like people and their network that is quite common that thinking about in the bangladeshi community that families can stay together or live together and sometimes there might be other people who can sort of support that person if they are struggling or going through difficulties. So just thinking about who else is around in the network as well and in the community that can support the person. Um, So I think definitely there's a need to be, I think, flexible and adaptable and to think quite creatively. And if a professional isn't sure, I think just being able to be curious and ask the person and to discuss with them if there's something they're not sure about, um, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I totally agree with, again, you know, everything that you're saying there, it's kind of having that um, the open mindedness, isn't it? And kind of not being so rigid in terms of um, the way we kind of respond to different people, um, because obviously there's going to be many factors that you kind of mentioned at the beginning of this interview that can obviously have an impact um, on, on various different people from different communities. So, Shah, um, just to kind of wrap up uh, in, in the last part of this. So last night was the Euro 20. 20, 2021, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, obviously, you know, we know that it was an undesirable result for England. Uh, but I guess for me, kind of, you know, waking up to Twitter and social media and seeing, you know, um, a lot of racist comments uh, being made um, to, to players and obviously the, imp- the impact that you can see it's having, having on um, many people who kind of engage in these kind of things. So, I mean, from a therapist perspective um what would you kind of what would be your thoughts in terms of you know the implications that these kind of events or these kind of comments um can have on communities and how they then go on to access services yeah definitely i think it's had it can it has had historically and in the present can have such a big impact on someone and i think how um just how safe people feel that um like in society but also with accessing services and accessing support i think that um when someone hears these comments or reads these comments it can be quite triggering for people as well from their own experiences Mm. of things that they've experienced in the past and growing up and early experiences and it can bring up a lot for people and it can make it feel very unsafe it can feel very lonely I think as well Um, and I think that the media probably has a big part in this as well that sometimes how stories or um, people are portrayed portrayed in the media can send out a lot of these messages as well and it can be very harmful Um, and that's why I think it's so important that services um can be as 
approachable as possible and can feel safe and that mm. these spaces in services can feel safe to people and that race is actively spoken about within therapy as well because sometimes it's something that's not spoken about and the experiences that people have had of racism and discrimination or microaggressions within it within, whether it's places of work or within society I think it can have such a big impact and I think that if there aren't spaces to talk about it and for people to feel like they can talk about it then it can feel very lonely and it can have a big impact on someone's mental health um, and I think it's not just for adults I think for young people as well like teenagers or people at school so I think that it's important at different for everyone at different stages of their wherever they are in their life and whether it's at school or at work or places of work that people are aware of the impact that um, these messages can have on someone's well-being and that um, it, it, it can be very harmful and dangerous and it's important to be able to support people um, especially when things like this happen yeah yeah absolutely thank you for that um so just one last thing just to kind of um end um our interview I mean I wish we could go on because there's just so much to talk about uh, but like I'm very conscious of uh, your time so something you mentioned which kind of kind of stuck with me a little bit I think is you said you know when you were you know deciding to go into clinical psychology you know it, it sometimes felt discouraging um mm. because of how competitive it is if yeah. there was sort of any advice that you could give to those aspiring clinical psychologists out there who are, you know, yeah. want to go into this field, what would be like your top tips or advice for them? Yeah, I would say that um, if it's definitely something you want to do, um, or even if you're not sure, but you're maybe considering it as an option, I'd say definitely go for it. I'd say um, enjoy the journey rather than thinking always about the end point and reaching that end goal. I think that's good to have the goal, but don't think about what you might want to do along the way. Um, building up your experience, think about doing different things and see how that goes I think yeah just keep going it can be hard like there are going to be no's along the way like I got some no's but I think and it is going to be um, tough but if you feel like it's something you definitely want to do I think keep going and I think that over time and I think much more now there are spaces for aspiring psychologists um, I think there's a big community on Twitter for supporting people into the profession and there are schemes like mentoring schemes as well for supporting people from minority ethnic backgrounds so there is a lot out there now so I think that um, it is um, it is possible and I think that recently there's been a lot more funding as well so there are more places um, so I'd say, yeah, just keep going. I think that build up your experience. Um, and But also, I think, remember to have breaks and remember to um, have time for yourself and to look after yourself because it can be um, can be a tough journey. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Shah. And I, I hope that, you know, your final year goes well. I know you're doing so much work and um, you've got a lot going on. So I really hope that that all goes really well for you and obviously we're going to be hopefully seeing each other soon anyway um yeah. for um sharing our research so thank you so much um and yeah i guess we'll speak to you soon yeah thank you all right bye bye
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that you found it useful. Um, I want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who supported our website launch. Um, if you haven't done so already, you can go ahead and check it out. The links are provided in all our socials. Um, otherwise, it's available at www.whataboutuspodcast.com. Thank you very much. And we hope to bring you next episode soon. Bye-bye.